Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, your freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Natalie Sekolovska filling in for Shami. As always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves this week. First up, we're welcoming back Cam Wilson, a technology journal and former Backchat producer, to discuss whether Australia will ban TikTok. TikTok or not. <laughs> then we've got Kate Johnston, co-editor of CounterMag, about bringing fresh perspectives to the food sphere through their new publication. That's right. But first up, we want to hear from you. How much do you love TikTok? <laughs> do you mind selling yours and all your loved ones' data to watch Addison Ray, you scumbag? I, I love TikTok. <laughs> do you love TikTok, Matt? I'm actually, I don't actually have the app. <gasps> so <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah, I know, I know. I I just added myself on live uh, backchat. <laughs> but <laughs> I actually, you know, I never thought I'd be someone who would get into TikTok, and then I downloaded it, and I've spent. Uh, I, I can't go to bed without watching TikTok. Do you think you're obsessed now, though? I'm obsessed. You okay. know, all my dopamine hits comes from TikTok. <laughs> now. Truly, it is. It's ridiculous. Um, I want to hear from you guys. I'm not sure if it's m- more of an American thing, but I want to hear from you. Do you love TikTok and? Do you care about them, you know, mining your data? You can join in on the conversation and text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. Everyone's favourite productivity killer is under threat. That's right. Countries around the world are moving to ban TikTok in fear of data being sent to the Chinese government. Last week, India blocked the video sharing platform alongside 58 other Chinese-owned apps, while the Trump administration said they're considering the same. Yeah, and just yesterday, an internal email at Amazon forced employees to delete TikTok off their devices. So... What's the fate of our country's 13th most popular app and the 1.6 million Aussies that are glued to it? We're joined by internet aficionado and tech journalist Cam Wilson about the likelihood of Australia banning TikTok over here. Hi, Cam. Welcome back and thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hey, good to be back. Feels like a a warm blanket being back with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great to hear. (laughs) Um, So, uh, kicking straight into it, why are countries around the world concerned about TikTok? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of fears about what um, people, what, what essentially China, the, the government, um, is doing with the data that TikTok collects. And that's not necessarily a, a completely substantiated fear because, um, I mean, it, it, essentially people are worried that the Chinese government, through its laws that it has and the influence that it has on the um, Chinese company that owns TikTok, which is called ByteDance, they fear that they're using information that, they, that it's affecting and how the company runs itself, so it runs its moderation, maybe even allows things like misinformation. These fears, which, by the way, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, aren't necessarily rooted in any proof so far, are the reason that the countries around the world have been talking about it. And like you said, India has banned it. The US has floated it. Um, there's been some chat in Australia about it, but really it hasn't really been widespread. I mean, there's one government MP, George Christensen, who said he wants to ban it along with all these other Chinese social media apps. But really, that continues to be quite a niche opinion in Australia. So you mentioned ByteDance. What data do they say they're actually collecting? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the app can um, take... 
in fact, very similar uh, data to what a lot of other social media apps take. So, you know, when you install on your phone, it tells you, hey, we're going to take your location data, we're going to read your contacts, where um, we've got information about the device that you're using, that kind of thing. Um, and the reason that I mentioned that it is very similar to kind of other applications as well is because, I mean, one of the kind of pushbacks against this idea of banning TikTok or even just like acting on TikTok alone is that, you know, there are all these other applications that take a lot of data. Maybe we should start trying to be a little bit more, you know, broadly conscious about the data we're giving out and not just TikTok, um, not just worried about TikTok itself. Look, there is some complacency, I think, when it comes to, you know, other social media apps like Facebook and Instagram, for example, because they're, you know, probably doing the same thing. So I guess what's the sentiment from users our age um, about this? Do do people really care what happens with their data if the content is so good, as Swetha <laughs> said before? <laughs> uh, look, uh, there were a whole bunch, a bunch of, of teens and other TikTok users writing Scott Morrison's mentions on Twitter the other day, being like, please don't ban TikTok. Uh, and we've kind of seen that in, like, the US and there as well. I mean, the, the thing is about, um, you know, TikTok and all these other social media applications is they really do just take a lot of data from us. But it, it's kind of like, I guess for an individual, it's hard to know what the risk or potential damage is. But also, like, you, you know, like, what can we do? Like, if, if TikTok is taking all this data, but then so is Facebook, but then so is, like, all these other applications, there is a feeling that I think some people get where they're like, well, like, I don't know, if, if one place has got it, um, all these places have got it, so what's the point of even worrying? Mm. And so that, I think the kind of answer is, well, like, the thing that we should be looking at is not, you know, shaming individuals for having it. We should, you know, of course, make them aware that they are giving out this information. But, I mean, you know, experts say that we really need, like, a broader approach. You know, we need governments to step in with regulations and laws to say, to limit what people can do with data, um, that, that's like a much more effective way, I think, of trying to um, force, you know, have some kind of change and protect users than just being like, well, like TikTok might be taking all this information, but like, I know you love the videos, so like, it's up to you what you want to do with it. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. So I guess in your opinion, how much is this actually about protecting citizens' data versus xenophobic suspicion and geopolitical factors? <laughs> uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think it very clearly is spurned on by fear of China because, you know, like as I mentioned before, we're, we're talking about this concern about what China is doing with, um, with data, how the influence of the government may be assisting or, or influencing decisions and those are legitimate fits like I, i'm not going to say like they're, they're absolutely not like we know that for instance by dance the company i think has a committee um that interacts directly with the um, chinese communist party we know that there's a law in china that says that um all companies and citizens must um assist with um with intelligence gathering um uh, activities if they're asked that being said i should say by dance australia has said that we have not given information to um, the Chinese government or, or, and we do not plan on doing that. So, you know, they very clearly said that we're not going to do it. But I guess that being said, like, you know, all these fears, I guess, around China and, you know, they are legitimate to some extent. I think the reason that it's worth contextualising that, you know, like I said before, all these other applications are taking data off us and doing these other things and, and you know, foreign governments are able to get... Um, uh, to get data on us in many ways, I think we need to have a more holistic approach to this issue. 
You're listening to Back Chat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Nat. We're speaking to tech reporter and former Back Chat producer Cam Wilson about why world powers are scrambling to ban everyone's favourite procrasty app, TikTok. That's right. And we want to hear from you. What do you think about TikTok? Is it your favourite app? And are you worried about them mining your data? You can join in on the conversation on 0409-945-945. Or tweet us at FBI, And we've got a couple of texts in. Mark from Kusula has said, not really. Doesn't Facebook and Instagram do the same? So, yeah, it sounds quite similar to what you were saying, Cam, where people feel kind of resigned to their data being mined. And um, Alison from Alexandra has said, I'm just scrolling how much data could they take? Now, they raise an interesting point. So, you know, data mining is nothing new. Uh, What kind of information could the Chinese government actually get from me watching dance tutorials all day? Yeah, I mean, like I kind of mentioned before, there there is all these things like your location, your device um, number, and that kind of stuff, which, you know, you can actually tell a lot by people, for instance, by their location. You know, location is one of the things that tells you, like, you you can pretty much determine uh, many demographic factors about someone just based on where they live, because... Um, your your geography, like you know where you live, is highly associated with how much money you earn, your education, that kind of stuff. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, they take kind of information that, by the way, um, is you know used in part of the app because you know TikTok, um, I believe, customizes what you see based on where you are. It, it, it asks for your contacts, not I'm sure just because they want to know who you um, have, but you know it is used in the app. You know, used to kind of if you want to suggest other people to the app, that kind of thing. But this information. Um, is collected by the app, and that is part of many app business models, like TikToks, Facebooks. You know, if you ever downloaded like one of those apps, which is like a, a flashlight, you know, back in the day, like they're all collecting it as well. It's very much the mm-hmm. business model, and they're often selling on this data to advertisers who are using it to then, I guess, you know, try and sell you products to try and target you. But also, you know, the experts that I spoke to about this said that you know we're worried about China or other foreign governments saying, "Hey, TikTok can give me the data." There's many other ways that they can get it. You know, they can literally just go and buy it from data brokers, these companies that buy it from, you know, companies like companies that run apps. There's another kind of, I guess, vendors who buy the data from them and then sell it on to whoever. Um, so I guess that it's kind of complicated. It's hard to say, like, exactly what they can do with it. But I guess the kind of concern is that we know that you can learn a lot from data, things that you might not even think are that important. That's why it's worth, like, I guess, being a little bit conscious about it, even if you are, think that you're just telling them, you know, how much you like flossing videos or whatever. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, you mentioned there is there has been a lot of talk about China um, and also other foreign governments and, you know, how they're kind of mining this data and taking it um, through these apps. But a transparency report released yesterday shows Australian law enforcement made seven data requests to TikTok last year, um, but TikTok didn't actually uh, produce the data for any single one of them. Um, what do you make of this? Do you think that this is normal behaviour for social network companies and should we be worried about what's actually happening back home? It's pretty standard for social media networks to work with law enforcement to some extent. Like, you know, there are laws in different countries that um, kind of um, say sometimes that you have to assist. But then there's also just the fact that, like, for instance, you know, if on, say on TikTok, I know this is a really horrible example, but say you see some kind of proof of child abuse, like that's something that people might feel comfortable about the government getting data or law enforcement getting data from. So, I mean, it's, you can't really just say that, you know, ever working with government is necessarily always going to be a bad idea. And the transparency report, I guess, is good. 
I guess for um, comparison to other social networks, put out a similar transparency report. And, you know, they because they're often bigger, they often deal with, like, hundreds of requests and do acquiesce with um, a lot of them. Um, I guess, like, you know, it's, it's always good to know. And, and that number of seven is actually, I thought, quite low. Um, I, I don't I don't really think that that's where the issue is. You know, people are more worried about um, the, I guess, the, the things that, that TikTok might hypothetically be not telling us about. Again, we don't really know what that is. That's just, I think, almost more concerns than real allegations at this point. So, Cam, you've been reporting on this topic for a long time now. So the question we've all been wondering is, what side of TikTok are you on? <laughs> Am I pro or anti-TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm, I'm very pro TikTok. And you know what? It's funny. I've been thinking about this. It is so weird that this, like, massive, like, I think this is a massive debate that we'll be having more and more because, you know, it's about the rise of China, which we know, by the way, you know, th- they do a lot of espionage stuff. They use a lot of their soft power as well. We know that they are, you know, very, very keen about jostling for position in the world order at the moment. And so everyone's concerned about that. And then we've also got the fact that, you know, all these um, applications are keeping heaps of data on us. And it's a kind of like, it's increasingly like this surveillance. It's not a state because it's a government doing it, but it's all these companies. It's, it's what they call surveillance capitalism, where they're often selling data of, of us almost all the time. And that's all combining into a fight over an app which is mostly like people dancing to music that's used by teens like it's just insane that there's this huge debate and this is kind of where it's um really focused but i, I guess i would say that okay i love TikTok. i think it's great it's, it's such a uh, place for creativity um and uh you know you see a lot of people doing really cool stuff on it it, it to me it's just crazy that now like you know george christensen mike pompeo from the u.s um people in india we're all debating over this app um of people i don't know dancing to doja cat Uh, well thanks so much for speaking with us cam it's always a pleasure (laughs) thanks guys that was tech journalist cam wilson about the international movement to ban tiktok and whether australia will follow suit don't turn that dial because up next we're chatting to the co-editor of newly released counter magazine about making food journalism yummier than ever but first in honor of this tiktok themed segment (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna play wait a minute by willow smith you'll recognize it if you're a true fan um enjoy guys It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Conversations in Australia about how and what we eat have gone a bit stale. Sometimes we need a new perspective on our food that isn't just a story about the restaurants we probably can't afford anyway. That's why the recently launched Counter magazine stands out, covering all things tough, taboo and the beautiful when it comes to food. They strive to cover the big ideas behind and on the plate. We're speaking with CounterMag co-editor and postdoctoral research fellow at the Sydney Environment Institute, Kate Johnston, about their unique approach to food journalism and what we can expect from their second issue. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi there. How's it going? Good, good. Um, so let's let's start off by by asking what made you start CounterMag. Well, it, Counter Magazine has had a really long genesis. So about eight years ago. We sat around the table eating, of course, um, and began to envisage a food magazine that didn't exist in the Australian food media scape. Um, and I guess we ended up making the magazine where you really wanted to read that didn't exist and one that kind of went 
you know, quite deeply into food topics and wasn't afraid to be a little bit controversial. For example, our first review uh, was by Nick Jordan and he critiqued fine dining itself. Um, and, uh, you know, we wanted to create something that wasn't afraid to look at, at tough topics and also be a bit political as well. So our last issue, we looked at working conditions of fruit pickers in Australia through to the complex and controversial topics of terroir in France, that kind of thing. So that really drove us to, to create this magazine. You have an interesting philosophy that anyone with a story worth telling can write for the magazine, not just established writers. Why was this important to you? Well, I guess there are so many people in the food um, industry um, along the food supply chain that have something to tell and they're obviously not bad at telling it um, and I guess we felt like they needed more than just kind of a quote here and there in an article that was sort of curated and, and um, by somebody else and so um, we, we wanted to sort of allow them to have a bit of a platform as well to kind of say well this is actually what's important to me um, also, I guess we, we really wanted to bring an unlikely mix of people together. So, you know, in our last issue, we, we had microbiologists and a psychologist side by side, a farmer and an academic. Um, you know, we're, we're really into great journalism and really good writing and, and um, we'll be including some excellent journalists in you know our, our next issue but also we kind of want to hear from like more real sort of raw accounts from from other people as well yeah so your research focuses on environmental and food justice how has your research helped you establish the magazine well i i find food research knowledge really fascinating and i feel like it's just crying out to be more accessible to a broader public um, for example, I did some research in tuna fishing, um, finished fisheries in Sicily, so quite kind of old methods of catching tuna. And in the media, they're often portrayed as either like there's a lot of um, conversations around animal rights or there's a lot of conversations that are about, oh, the beautiful tuna and you can cook it this way and that way, etc. But there's like a lot that's missing that... I guess in, in my research, I was able to look at like the kind of social and community aspects of tuna fishing. You know, no one really talked about the fact that a lot of the, the people working in the tuna fisheries were people who had come from a background of like being in prison and, you know, all these really interesting aspects. And I guess that really drives me to um, kind of, um, that's my kind of contribution to the magazine. But Counter Magazine is shaped by this kind of dynamic of three very different people, I've got to say. So I'm a researcher and I bring that in. Um, Dan Johnston, one of the other founding editors, is a chef. Uh, Tanya, Tanya Bingley, she's, she works in cultural industries, in language, as a voice coach. So there's this sort of really productive dynamic. So I kind of push the research in and, and Dan says, hey, remember to be light and, you know, food is about enjoyment and things like that so it's kind of the dynamic that helped us helped us to kind of establish what the magazine was you're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Nat. We're speaking with Counter Magazine's Kate Johnston, who's explaining how they make food reporting fresh and accessible. Now, Kate, what does it mean when we talk about things like sustainable food systems? 
Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, I, I would say there are three things to think about um, that are really important. So I would say the sustainable food system is resilient. And this is something that has come up a lot recently with you know, our, our disruption to supply chains um, with the pandemic. So often um, we find that short supply chains are really quite robust. So recently we've seen that, as I said, with the pandemic where local kind of short chain suppliers have done really well in this context, have really thrived and people have been turning to them to, you know, source a lot of their food from kind of feather and bone type meat suppliers through to... Um, uh, uh, fruit and vegetable suppliers that are kind of dealing directly with farmers. So I would say that, you know, often the case is that short supply chains are quite resilient. It's not always the case. That, that's another story. Um, and then I'd say it has to have people at the centre. So a sustainable food system uh, needs to sustain communities and involve our, our most vulnerable and often like people, groups that are left out as actors in the food system itself. I think it needs to involve them as kind of key actors in determining what the, the food system looks like. Um, and finally, I'd say that we need to always remember that the food system is part of an ecosystem and food economy, like food is not just a, a commodity, it's part of an ecosystem that has a finite resource. Yeah, on that on that note, Counter Magazine's second issue will be focusing on the theme of renewal. So, what what inspired that decision? I guess um, we wanted to participate in this moment of change, and perhaps even kind of sketch out um, some of that change. So, that's not to say that you know everyone is preoccupied with this idea of improving things at the moment, but um, and because, you know, there are a lot of, of businesses and people who are just trying to survive, right? Um, but there's a lot of kind of ingenuity in, in food business that's happening right now. A lot of destruction that's happening happened, but also this kind of like, right, let's do things slightly differently. Let's try this. Let's try that. Um, so we really wanted to kind of engage in that moment. Also, there's just so many different directions you can take this theme of renewal. And that's what we really like to choose a theme that kind of can go off in a whole lot of directions. So, like, the country at the moment is literally rejuvenating and not everyone and everything is surviving. Like, I'm talking about after the Black Summer um, bushfires, you know, um, and we want to hear from those at the forefront. So we're going to, in the next issue, be talking to farmers who have had, you know, their, their livelihoods stripped of them and, you know, some are still kind of living in really difficult situations. Um, and we're also going to talk to Victor Stevenson, a cultural burning practitioner. Um, we're also going to look at, like, the renaissance of, of Indigenous ingredients here in Australia and also in other parts of the world. And look at, like, change that comes through migration. So we've got a beautiful story of food and migration as well as um, we've got a conversation with Rebecca Huntley and Annabelle Crabb on policy reform. So we were, we were then going to discuss, you know, the, the possibility of climate change policy reform. So it's just such a rich topic that, you know, we've been able to kind of take in so many directions and so kind of over the moment. Oh, love it. Sounds amazing. So when can we <laughs> expect to see Counter Magazine's second issue out and how can we follow what Counter is up to? Yeah, so... 
Um, on on topic, renewal will will be out in spring, so we're looking at kind of early October. Um, and the best way to follow us is probably on Instagram at Counter Magazine, or you can get onto our website, uh, which is www.countermagazine.com.au, and subscribe to our newsletter, and that way we'll let you know what's happening, give you some little tastes of what's to come, and and let you know when you can purchase mag. We'll make sure to look out for it. Thanks so much for speaking with us uh, this morning, Kate. Thanks a lot. That was the co-editor of Counter Magazine, Kate Johnston, about the future of sustainable food and how to report it. We'll tweet the links for Counter Mag shortly. Well, that's all the time we've got for the show today. Another big thanks to our producers, Eden Faithful, Shami, Siva Subramanian, Millie Roberts, Vanessa Lim and Nicole Ilya Goyeva. Thanks again to our guests, Cam Wilson and Kate Johnston and to the lovely Natalie Sekolovska for hosting with me. Thanks so much for having me this <laughs> My morning. Pleasure. Um, but quickly before we go, we're actually looking for new new additions to the Backchat team. Uh, so if you're interested in, you know, producing, presenting, doing what we're doing at the moment, uh, you can apply through the FBI website. We'll also share the link to our socials as well. That's right. So we'll catch you guys all next week. But before we do, we're going to play a song for this kind of dreary Saturday morning. Hopefully this perks you up a bit. This is Getting Older by Sh- Sam Fisher. One of uh, Shami's favourites. She's smiling at me through the producer's booth. <laughs> Are you happy? <laughs> Alright, catch so you all next week.